Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Tuesday, October 8th. And uh, man, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit sick today. It's not great. Uh, my throat's kind of messed up. I had a good weekend, though. A ton of football. Hung out, watched football, got to see some of my friends. Just an amazing, amazing time. And uh, I do want to start today with this. You know, I last episode, I talked about the movie The Joker. I went and saw the movie. I went and saw Joker this weekend. And I, I can't really say I had a good time, but I was transfixed. The movie had like a, a gravity to it. It's not really fun, but it is really good. I, from a filmmaking perspective, I'm a nerd. I love movies. It's a good movie, but it is dark. It's very dark, very, very dark and real. I mean, it, that's Joker. That's exactly what I think Joker needed to be a movie about this dark villain. And what the movie did is reminded me a lot of a, a good game. When you watch sports, one of my favorite things in sports is when you can't predict what's going to happen next. There's a, a level of tension and drama when you have no idea who's going to win and what's going to happen next. And Joker had a lot of moments of tension just like that. The same reason I love good sports games and good football and baseball and basketball was the reason why I love this movie is it's just so tense. And I don't know that love is the right word there. I respect it. It was good. It was very dark. It was. It left me like emotionally very like. Ugh. I just kind of sat there and looked at the dark screen after the credits stopped rolling, and my girlfriend looked at me and said, We're "Like, what do we do now? Like, how do we?" And I don't know how to feel about it. But I, you know, without spoiling the movie at all, I promise you, I will not. I do want to say the lesson from this movie is: be nice to the little guy. Be nice to people that you don't understand. Be nice to weird kids. You see a weird kid and. You're in high school. Who knows what situation in life you're in? But you see someone who you think is weird and you don't understand, be nice to that guy. Whether you're at a, a supermarket or you're at a movie theater or you're at school or you're football, who knows what situation you're in. If you see someone kind of weird that you don't understand, be nice to that person. That was my takeaway from the movie Joker. Um, you know, you just never know what someone's going through and you never know what they're struggling with. A, a movie that, I, oh, tough to watch, but... I, I do respect it. A good movie. I want to start. I am sorry to talk about that movie to begin, but I just, I felt like I left you on a cliffhanger. I had to talk about it leading into today. Um, the Redskins fired their head coach, Jay Gruden. Yes, the same Jay Gruden. He's related to John Gruden. He's the brother of the Raiders head coach. Jay Gruden's season started with the Redskins at 0-5, uh, and then he just got killed by the Patriots, and they said, now nah, you're done. On Monday morning, they called Jay Gruden into the facility at 5 in the morning, and they cut bait. They fired him. And oh, I just feel so bad for Washington Redskins fans. I do. Um, you know, they've had seven head coaches since 1999, eight or nine if you count the interim head coaches. Um, but only one of those coaches finished their tenure in Washington with a winning record. That is Marty Schottenheimer went eight and eight. In 2001, he got fired after one season. And why do I bring up the year 1999? They've had seven coaches since then. None of them have finished with a winning record. Only one went eight and eight. That's kind of a win. I guess you can count that as winning. 1999 is when Dan Snyder bought the Washington Redskins, or you could say ruined their franchise. Uh, you know, I John, Jay Gruden, the fired coach of the Redskins, has issues. He's not perfect. But I do think he's a good football coach. And to me, the problem with the Redskins is upper management, the owner. 
Yeah, it's really funny. I predicted the Washington Redskins to go 3-13 and 13 in my NFL prediction show, and I got so much hatred. Oh, my gosh. Redskins fans were livid. I think the video has, like, almost amount, the same amount of dislikes as likes. It's ridiculous. Read the comments on my—it's my, like the Redskins to go 3-13 and 13 in 2019. Go watch that video and go listen, read the comments. It's funny. Even my friends, by the way, people I hang out with sent me messages and were like, uh, what the heck, man? Why are you being so hard on the Washington Redskins? <laughs> First of all, I was right. I, I was right about the Redskins. And I don't blame people who were mad at me. I feel sad for them. It's not their fault. The Redskins, as an organization, is a gigantic, gigantic mess. I feel bad for them. They're a mess of a roster. You know, they have players who are highly paid. Josh Norman, for example, who aren't playing very well and not doing well. They can't get their left tackle to show up. Ton, ton of guys are injured. It, it's not good. And there, you know, there are reports that the Redskins don't do a good job taking care of and helping and paying and dealing with insurance of players who are injured. If you're not good to your injured players, that's a really bad look in the NFL. And I've heard from people who have played in the NFL who say that the Redskins are just not a good organization to play for. You just avoid them. They're cheap. They have kind of crappy facilities. Of the NFL, in the NFL, the Redskins are one of the bottom of the barrel franchises to be an employee of, to be a player for. You don't want to be a part of what they got going on. It's an ugly, ugly mess. And the biggest problem is their owner, Dan Snyder. You know what he does? Apparently, he picks players. Apparently, he meddles in football business. And for an NFL franchise, having an owner who meddles in football decisions, telling people who to draft, telling people who to go for, sign this guy, draft this guy, it's the death penalty for an NFL franchise. When your owner meddles in football, the good owners get out of the way. They hire smart football people. They hire Bill Belichick. They hire you know Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, hired good football people and then got out of the way. All his job is now is to enjoy whatever success the Philadelphia Eagles have. Dan Snyder can't do that. He can't take his hand out of the cookie jar. He's got to be involved. And it gets way worse, by the way. <laughs> the Redskins drafted Dwayne Haskins in the first round of the NFL draft. He's a quarterback from Ohio State. I am very concerned for Dwayne Haskins, the state of his career, the potential success he may or may not have. Reports say that Jay Gruden, the head coach, didn't want him at the time of the draft. But Dan Snyder, the owner, said, no, I'm going to overrule you. I want Dwayne Haskins. He's from our area. He went to my son's high school. We're going to draft Dwayne Haskins. That's a bad situation for a player. That's a hard one for anybody to succeed in, whether you're the coach or the player. And there's a lot of angles here. You know, reports say that Dwayne Haskins could sense that Jay Gruden didn't want him. There are reports that came out saying that. And there's two angles you can have here. Either maybe straight up Jay Gruden didn't want Dwayne Haskins at all. He's like, nah, we just don't want him. Or maybe the alternative is that they drafted him and then were disappointed in him. And that's what Dwayne Haskins could sense. They're like, Dwayne is sitting there like, why am I third string quarterback? Why am I running the scout team? Why am I not getting reps? Why are you going to Case Keenum and Colt McCoy? Am I not wanted? Either Dwayne Haskins was really insecure and could leak out of him, or simply Jay Gruden didn't want him. Either way, it's not good. And then let me tell you, when I watched the tape, <laughs> when I watched film of Dwayne Haskins, I did a whole video about it. The dude is not ready for the NFL. He's making reads very slowly. He's struggling to read defense. He's cowering away from getting hit. 
And then even worse, like I predicted, the Redskins played him way before he was ready. By the way, Dwayne Haskins, to me, I, I look at some of his Instagram posts and I go, these are weird. I don't understand. You're a little bit immature. Like something's going on with Dwayne Haskins, the way he talks about himself and his career. He's often alone on the sidelines. He's not engaged with the other quarterbacks, paying attention and trying to learn about the game. I get weird vibes from Haskins. I wonder if he's NFL ready, not just from a, a sense on the field, but is he, is he adult enough? Is he professional enough to handle that moment? I don't know. And I, I am concerned about that. But man, Jay Gruden put Dwayne Haskins in against the Giants. And I think Jay Gruden did it to make people stop badgering him about it. He's like, shut up. Whether it's fans or ownership, but people keep giving me a hard time about why am I not playing Dwayne Haskins? Well, here you go. I'll show you. This is why Dwayne Haskins isn't playing. And Dwayne Haskins went out through three interceptions and was, ooh, uh, I, I, admittedly, he had a couple okay completions, but for the most part, all over the place and a mess and clearly not ready for the moment. I said it before, I'll say it again. The death penalty for an NFL franchise is when your owner steps in and makes football decisions. Says, I want this guy. Draft that guy. Draft this guy. I know better than people I hired who know football. I'm sorry, Dan Snyder. You don't know more about football than Jay Gruden. Straight, uh, straight up. Like, I, I'm not even a big fan of Jay Gruden, but man, I get fired up and I hate it when you hear about owners undermining their coaches and picking players for them. That's not good at all. Here's the truth. An owner is just the guy who brings in the funding. He supports financially everything going on. And if he doesn't agree with the coaches, he can fire the coaches, but he shouldn't make decisions for the coaches. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. Again, a good owner hires smart people and gets out of the way. Gets out of the way. Allows the smart football people to make decisions. I don't know, man. I think the Redskins are screwed. I, I really do. Um, you know... <laughs> They've had head coaches in the past, you know, since 1999. They've had head coaches that won Super Bowls, that won in college. They've had all kinds of coaches, and none of them have worked. It's not the coach. It's not Jay Gruden. He's not the reason the Redskins are 0-5. The reason the Redskins are 0-5. I'm not saying Jay Gruden doesn't play a part, by the way. Jay Gruden made mistakes. But the ownership, that's the real problem with the Redskins franchise. If you're franchise since in the last 20 years only has one coach who finished his career with a winning record it's probably not the coach because a lot of coaches have tried and a lot of coaches have failed so you got to look at the system and go oh it's probably me if everybody that works with me is terrible is it me or is it them because after a while you go oh yeah it's probably my fault that the people that work with me suck if i've been doing it for 20 years and i've worked with Seven, eight, nine different guys, and they've all failed. Dan Snyder, you're the problem with your franchise. And, and Redskins fans, I don't know how you support that. I wouldn't. I was once a, a, a Seattle Mariners fan, and I was like, wait, wait. I don't agree with any decisions being made. I hate all of this. I don't like the players you're getting rid of. I don't like the players you're bringing in. They, they traded for Eric Bedard, got rid of Adam Jones. I was like, no, no, no. I, can't. I was like 11 years old, and I was like, however old I was. I was like, I cannot support this anymore. If I'm a Redskins fan, I'm teetering on that edge going, dude, I, I, I cannot support this anymore. I give you my money. I buy your merchandise. I go to games. I'm sick of supporting this. I get it if Redskins fans want to be diehard fans. But if I'm a Redskins fan, as long as Dan Snyder's there, I'm not supporting that franchise. Dan Snyder's the problem with the Redskins. And it's hard 
and it is sad to watch. Woo! All right. Well, now we took Dan Snyder to task. Um, man, Monday Night Football stunk last night. It was an awful game. The 49ers destroyed the Browns 31-3. to And uh, I got to acknowledge, man, the 49ers, they look good. They do. Uh, they're now 4-0. The 49ers are undefeated. Are they good? That's the question we want to ask. And really, you know, the short answer is, yeah, they're good. The long answer is, ah, we'll see. I think so. There are really two things that are dependent on whether or not the 49ers are going to succeed long-term. It's their quarterback. And let's be honest, their schedule gets really hard at the end of the year. We'll come back to that. But at first, I got to say, I love what the 49ers have built. I love what the 49ers have built and the way they built their franchise. They have a really good roster. And it starts at the top. Their head coach, Kyle Shanahan, is awesome. He runs a great program. I love his offense. He delegates to the right people. He's hired a good defensive coordinator. They're doing a great job. And then John Lynch, the general manager, bless his soul, the way he's built this team and the way he's done it from the inside out, investing in the offensive line, investing in the defensive line. We, you know, (laughs) the way you win football games, look at the Indianapolis Colts. The way you win football games is in the trenches up front. The New England Patriots lead the NFL in sacks. There's a reason for that. That's how you win. There's a reason the Patriots, excuse me, are 5-0, because you win games with linemen. You got to have a good quarterback. You got to have good skill players, but linemen are where you start. Now, a good quarterback can't succeed without good linemen, but linemen are so important and they're so not valued enough in the NFL. I love what the 49ers have done. They drafted on the defensive line. They drafted Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas in the first round in the top 10. They traded for D Ford. I, they have all kinds of good players in their defensive line. They drafted offensive line to Mike McGlinchey. They acquired Weston Richburg, a center. They brought in vocal leadership with Richard Sherman. I love the skill players. They have good young receivers. I love their running backs, Matt Brieta, Tevin Coleman. They have George Kittle at tight end. They have this guy, Emmanuel Mosley, who really stepped up last night on Monday Night Football against the Browns, making good plays against Odell Beckham Jr. The point is this. The 49ers have built a really good young roster that I feel great about. I I do. I love their roster. The only question I have about the 49ers roster, Uh, it's their quarterback. It's their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to believe in him. I see things I like about him. I see a lot of moments I go, ooh, 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 that's a really good play. And then I see plays where I go, oh, no, I don't like that. So I want to believe in Jimmy Garoppolo. I just don't yet. The truth is, this whole year, he's played really inconsistent. He's had good moments. I think you know, I just don't trust him yet. And the, what I think of when I see Jimmy Garoppolo, you see flashes of greatness. You go, oh, man. There are moments where this 49ers offense looks like the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. And if you know the story, Kyle Shanahan, who's now the head coach of the 49ers, was the, head, was the offensive coordinator at the time of the Atlanta Falcons. They had Matt Ryan, their quarterback, won NFL MVP. And you see moments now where the same coordinator, Kyle Shanahan is now with the 49ers as head coach. He's, it looks very similar. They use play action. They run the ball well. They have a creative running game. They do a, there's so many ways they, so many plays that look the same. In fact, are the same. They even have Tevin Coleman, a former Falcons running back. I love the way they use play action. They fake the run. They set it up. Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball downfield. And it, it all looks so good. There's so many good moments. And then Jimmy Garoppolo 
makes a throw where he forces the ball into coverage over the middle, and you're like, oh, no, no, we were so close. You look so good. And you just, I just, the repeated theme I see with the 49ers are flashes of greatness followed up by Jimmy Garoppolo making a mistake. And the truth is, you know, he's just, he's just getting better. He's getting better every year. But Jimmy Garoppolo's only started 14 games in his entire NFL career. I think this 49ers roster can win a lot, a lot of football games. They have a great core. They're good on the offensive line and the defensive line, which is the most important. You've got to have a good line on both sides of the ball. That's why the Colts are winning again. 49ers have a very similar football team to the Indianapolis Colts. Maybe not quite as talented on defense, but man, they're only going to go as far as their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, though. Jimmy Garoppolo is the key to the 49ers' success. Now, I will say this. It seems like the 49ers are building something. And Jimmy Garoppolo does steadily improve every time I watch him. And even if this year the 49ers fall apart or, or fall short at the end, right? If they get to the playoffs and they lose in the wild card round, you got to feel encouraged if you're a 49ers fan. If the end of the year, the 49ers tail off, which they might if you look at their schedule. If it's not this year, and if it's not next year, three years from now, the 49ers, I think you're going to make a deep playoff run. Maybe next year, but maybe not two, maybe two years from now. Remember when the Rams made the playoffs and then they got knocked out in the first round by the Falcons? I think we could see something similar with the 49ers where they're building something. They need, they need some experience. They need to get to the playoffs altogether. Jimmy Garoppolo needs a playoff start. They get embarrassed or they, they have a close fight and they lose. And then the next year is the year they make their deep playoff run. Here are the 49ers' next six games. They play the, Ra- the Rams, the Rams, the Redskins, the Panthers, the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals again. The Rams and Seahawks are tough games, but it's very possible the 49ers go 5-1 in the next six games. That's a, hey, that's not bad. Then you're either 8-2 and two or you're 9-1. But the second half of the 49ers schedule is much, much tougher. They play the Packers, the Ravens, the Saints, the Falcons, the Rams, and the Seahawks. That's a crazy run. That's a gauntlet of really, really tough teams back to back to back to back to back. Four or five of those six teams are playoff teams. And the Falcons are not great, but they have some weapons. And (laughs) Kyle Shanahan used to coach there, so they know Kyle Shanahan really well. And I'm sure if any team can scheme up a defense to stop Kyle Shanahan, it's Kyle Shanahan's former head coach, Dan Quinn. So I, I'm concerned that the 49ers are going to go off to a great start. They're going to be 8-2 and two or 9-1. and one. And then that last six games, they're just going to tail off and just get embarrassed, and it's going to be hard for them. And 49ers fans are going to be like, what's wrong? Why did we fall apart? Because you look at who they've beaten so far. <laughs> they've beaten, like, the Bengals. The Steelers without Big Ben, they beat the Buccaneers, ooh, and they beat the Browns. <laughs> like, I mean, not that impressive to me, honestly. But here's the good news, right? The last six games are the real test for the 49ers, and it's going to be hard. They're going to start great, 8-2, and 9-1, I truly believe that. And then they might lose like four of the next six, honestly. Maybe even five of the last six. They're, they're just going to really struggle at the end. Unless, here's some hope, I'll give you this. Jimmy Garoppolo has been very inconsistent so far. But maybe all the inconsistencies he's had so far are he learns a lesson. He learns another lesson. He learns another lesson. And he just gets better and better and better until eventually he really hits his stride. And maybe the final six games, they don't go undefeated or anything. But they go 
four and two or three and three against really tough playoff teams, but Jimmy Garoppolo's better and not as inconsistent. And if Jimmy Garoppolo can play consistently at a high level, then those final six games in the 49ers schedule are all winnable because the 49ers roster is incredible. But the question, the wild card is, is their quarterback good enough to lead them to victory in back-to-back-to-back weeks against really, really good football teams? And can Jimmy Garoppolo improve to get there so we can compete at that level? That is what I'm excited to see with the 49ers. I like what they're doing. They're headed in a good direction. Even if they struggle at the end of the year, either don't make the playoffs or get beat in the wild card round, I think the 49ers are building something. And if it's not next year, it's the year after next. I think the 49ers are poised and building towards a deep playoff run. Okay, uh, the Browns are two and three. And uh, we got to just be honest about what's going on. Baker Mayfield's been really bad. <laughs> Baker Mayfield's not been impressive at all. I, I love Baker. I have defended Baker. I've made videos. I've also been critical of Baker. But I really, at the heart of it, I love Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. But let's be honest about his statistics. He's got a 55% completion percentage, four touchdowns, and eight interceptions so far this year through five games. He has twice as many interceptions as touchdowns. Ooh. And, and, and then the Browns' two wins have come against the Jets, who who didn't have their starting quarterback. They were actually lost their backup quarterback, too. For the majority of the Browns and Jets game, the Jets were playing their third-string quarterback, Luke Falk, who's terrible. And then against the Ravens, the Browns had over, you know, they had 193 yards rushing, and the Ravens had three turnovers. I mean, the, the Ravens really kind of laid over, let them run all over them, and turned the ball over a bunch. And two times now this year, both week one and week five, in a big moment, the Browns have been embarrassed. Embarrassed on national TV. They got, they got killed by the Titans, and then they got killed by the 49ers last night on Monday Night Football. It's not good. So what's the problem? What's going on? What's wrong with the Cleveland Browns? I hope I haven't had said, I know I've had the Redskins in my head all day. I hope I've been saying the Cleveland Browns. What's wrong with the Cleveland Browns? Number one is their head coach, Freddie Kitchens. He's young. He's a first-time head coach. And I think the problem here is he hasn't built a really strong culture. What does that mean? How do you respond when things get tough? Are you the kind of team that gets blown out and beat? It's one thing to fight and lose. It's another thing to just get obliterated and, and, and just, man, just kind of fall apart. And twice now I've seen that happen with the Cleveland Browns. A good coordinator does not necessarily make a good head coach. There's a big difference. I've seen it in my own football career, my own life. A coordinator is really good at knowing football. They're a genius on the chalkboard. They understand how to design an offense or a defense, and they can scheme things up all you want. But a head coach needs to be more than that. A head coach is the guy who builds culture. In fact, a lot of head coaches are not a coordinator on either side of the ball. They delegate that to other people. They manage and oversee everything. And then maybe they, maybe they coach a position group, but a great head coach sets the tone, and their job is to build the culture of the franchise or the program or the football team. So I think Freddie Kitchens is doing a poor job right now setting the tone and building the culture in Cleveland. That's why they got blown out twice this year. The other problem, I'll acknowledge it, the offensive line's been really struggling. They're not that great. I don't have a lot more than that. I just know that, man, I watched them. They struggle to block for Baker Mayfield. It's like, oh, okay, the offensive line. Like I said at the beginning of the year, the offensive line is the weak point of this Browns team. And then even more than that, the bigger weakness, right? The bigger 
the weakest link of the Cleveland Browns right now is their quarterback, Baker Mayfield. I don't like saying that. I don't like admitting that. That's awful. But he's got nine turnovers in five games, eight interceptions and a fumble. He's been bad in the red zone. And I really think that the Browns need to dedicate themselves to running the ball and playing good defense. I think they rely a little too much on Baker. I think he's in a little bit over his head. I think they got to play the same way that the Jets won with Mark Sanchez. I would right now compare Baker Mayfield to Mark Sanchez. Don't like doing that. I love Baker. He's, he's far more intriguing as a person than Mark Sanchez is. But they're both really limited. And Baker Mayfield right now is throwing all over the place and looks bad and making bad plays. And it's it's frustrating because the Browns, I think, have a good roster. They have a lot of good players. They have a good defense that I like. And Baker's struggling. And you know what I really hate about what's going on with Baker Mayfield? Everywhere I look, whether it's a Hulu commercial or an insurance commercial, I see Baker Mayfield. I see Baker Mayfield everywhere in commercials all the time. I don't know if that's just me. Maybe they're literally targeting them at me. I don't know. And I'm glad Baker Mayfield went out and got a bunch of sponsorship money. I I love that, right? Go get your money. But every time I see Baker Mayfield in a commercial, and maybe, again, they're just targeting me. I see a lot. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you don't see as many as I do. But I see him all the time. And like, how many did he record? How many commercials with Baker Mayfield filming this summer? This offseason, what did he do with his time? And, you know, and I, by the way, I love his commercials. My favorite commercial, but with Baker Mayfield in it. He's in the stadium. His wife's like trying to turn on a blender in the press box. And he's trying to get the power on. And it's hilarious. Look it up. Look up Baker Mayfield power stadium commercial. It's funny. My girlfriend, I showed it to my girlfriend. We both laughed at it. It was a good time. And I love Baker. I can't say that enough, but <laughs> recording commercials, filming commercials, I know because I've done it, takes a lot of time. And every time he recorded a commercial, filmed the commercial, or made an appearance on TV, or went on a vacation, or did this or that, he lost a day. I know that sounds controversial and weird, uh, and I'm sure Baker Mayfield, he worked out and stuff. Like, he'd work out, then he'd go film a commercial. But the truth is, you know, the best way to get after it in the offseason is to build a schedule and follow it. This is what I do Monday through Friday. I do these things every single day and I just follow like a regimen. And every time that schedule is interrupted with filming or a trip or whatever it is, you lose time. And I don't like micromanaging a guy's time. I feel, I, I wrote all this out and I felt very uncomfortable with it because it's like, who am I to tell Baker Mayfield what to do with this time? I can't judge Baker Mayfield's free time, but what I can do is judge the final product and the final product on Sundays and Thursday, and I guess they played a game on Monday night. It's just not the two games on Monday night. What we're seeing in games from Baker Mayfield, it's not good enough. It's, it's not enough. It looks like Baker Mayfield just didn't improve that much this offseason. He's still making a lot of the same mistakes he made last year, forcing the ball into coverage, making bad footwork. He just doesn't look very sharp. And so my, my thought is, you look at Baker, and it's clear to me he stayed the same. He did the same level of work he did last offseason, which is fine. But the truth is he really needed to ratchet it up. Everyone else adjusted to Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield didn't make a lot of improvements to catch up to everyone adjusting to him. I'm sure he had a good offseason. I'm sure he worked out. I'm sure he worked hard. But he needed to dial it up and increase the intensity. 
and he stayed the same. And everything I just said is very, very harsh. I acknowledge that. I know Tom Brady was at the Met Gala with his wife. I know Drew Brees shot commercials. But the volume of non-football-related stuff Baker Mayfield did during the offseason is a really bad look when you're playing bad. Tom Brady, is Tom, he, can, he can do whatever he wants. Drew Brees can do whatever he wants. He's Drew Brees. And also, I don't see them in every single commercial. The Met Gala was a special thing, and I haven't even seen a Tom Brady commercial so far this year. I haven't seen a Drew Brees. I, think I've, I can't remember if I've seen one. I know I've seen him in the past. This season, I don't know if I've seen one. But you know what I've seen everywhere all the time? Baker stinking Mayfield. And it's just a bad look. Because it looks like he coasted this offseason, did a bunch of film shoots, got a bunch of sponsorships, and then instead of dialing it up a notch, coasted. Defensive coordinators have adjusted to Baker Mayfield. They're figuring out his tendencies. They're figuring out what he does. They're learning from the way he plays his game. And he did not make as much progress as he needed to this offseason. It's hard to say. It's hard to, it's hard to acknowledge. It's hard to admit. I love Baker Mayfield. I'm a big fan of his. But he's not getting the job done. Baker Mayfield is not getting the job done. It's on him. Nine turnovers in five weeks. Blown out twice. Baker Mayfield's not getting the job done. Uh, all right. One, before I go to break, I want to do a segment that I do every single episode. It's very important to me. Uh, it's a weird one to transition to because it's, it's just it's so amped up. Um, if you're struggling, please get help. Please go get help. If you know the story, I do this every episode. My brother took his life three years ago, and it was painful. It sucked. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. And... Through my brother's death, I learned two really tough lessons. One is that, you know, my brother never shared his struggles. And so if you're struggling, go get help. Go talk to somebody. Go reach out. My brother suffered in silence. I saw him every week. We worked together. I hung out with him a lot. We'd play Halo together. And he never told me, hey, man, I'm having a hard time. No, instead, I went to his house one day to play Halo, and I found him dead on the floor. And that sucks. I, I really wish my brother would reach out to me. And that, that's one half of it. The other hard lesson I learned is I didn't do a good enough job reaching out to my brother and making it clear to him, hey, I'm here for you. If you're having a hard time, you can talk to me. I love you. I will always be here for you. And so make sure that the people in your life know how much you love them and that you care for them and that if they're having a hard time, they can reach out to you and come get help because I didn't do a good enough job. Look, I've, I journaled. I've dealt with it. I don't think I'm the reason my brother took his life. But I definitely could have done a better job making sure he knew he was loved. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. All I'm asking, man, if you're having a hard time, reach out to your friends, your family, call the Suicide Hotline, go get help, because my brother didn't. And, and then I didn't do a good enough job making sure he knew he could talk to me and knew he could reach out to me. So again, if you're struggling, go get help. And... Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. We're going to jump into Russell Wilson when we get back. We're going to talk about UCLA, Cincinnati football. We'll talk about my five takeaways from NFL Week 5. Yes, or not my five. It's like six takeaways. I don't know how many it is. I just said takeaways. And then we'll end the show, of course, with Ask Zach. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, I want to now talk about the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, because 
if you ask me, I think Russell Wilson is one of the most underappreciated and misunderstood quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Aside from his leadership, aside from the fact that he's never missed a start, there are a couple things on the field that make Russell truly a special quarterback. First of all, his arm is incredible. You see a lot of clips of him running around and making plays with his legs. I don't think people understand he runs when he needs to. He doesn't just run to run. The dude can win with his arm. He can make any throw all over the field. And here's how Russell Wilson's running ability impacts his game. He runs to throw. He runs, but he always keeps his eyes downfield while he's doing it. He's looking to throw the ball downfield. He's extending a play so that eventually he can throw. Nobody in the world on the entire planet, nobody can extend a play as effectively as Russell Wilson. It just doesn't happen. There's a play against the Rams where he throws a touchdown. He buys time. He extends the play. He's running to the left. And then he effortlessly flicks the ball to the back corner of the end zone. A perfect touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett. Perfect throw into a teeny, teeny, tiny window. It's unbelievable. And you know what else is special about his game? He runs around when there's nobody open. He he doesn't run to run. He runs to throw the ball. And sometimes he runs to avoid a sack. But whenever he runs, he always does an incredible job avoiding getting hit. He rarely gets hit. Young quarterbacks need to take notice. The dude slides. Russell Wilson is an incredible quarterback. He can make any throw he needs to. He runs around, but he keeps his eyes downfield looking to throw. And he's really smart. He avoids getting hit all the time. On top of all that, too, he avoids negative plays regularly. He's not afraid to throw the ball away. The point is this. In 2019, Russell Wilson is playing the best football he's ever played in his life. He's gotten better. He's not making the mistakes he's made in the past. He's already, he was already a Pro Bowl quarterback, I think a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback. He got even better. He ratcheted up even more this year. He improved, if that's even possible. I wouldn't be surprised. That's not true. I'd be surprised if Russell Wilson won the MVP this year, but he certainly deserves it. Russell Wilson, it's going to be hard. If Russell Wilson ever wins an MVP, it'll be very difficult for him. He works in a run-heavy offense. They throw the ball less than other teams. They run the ball. They use play action. Then they throw the ball downfield with Russell. But so far, the dude is having, not statistically, but on the field, he's playing better than he's ever played in his entire life. And even if he doesn't have the gaudy, insane numbers, he's playing really, really efficiently and very, very effectively. And my opinion, Russell Wilson right now is the most valuable player in the entire NFL. Okay, uh, let's shift to five takeaways I have from, not five, I guess. Let's talk about takeaways I have from the NFL week five. I want to share, how do I intro this topic? It's very hard, right? When you're trying to explain what this topic is, I say the number five on my notes. and It's like, is that five? No, no, no. We'll reset. I'll share. I'm going to leave this in. It's kind of funny, but this is, I very rarely, if ever, cut anything out of the podcast. When I do cut stuff out, it's weird misstarts like this where I like intro a topic and I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. And, you know, last week I actually missed one. I was so embarrassed. The video, I got to like a thousand listens on iTunes before I was like, oh crap. There's like a 30 second clip in there where I go like, <clears throat> let me reset. 
and I reset. And I didn't cut it out because I'm stupid and I edit by myself and no one helps me. And my girlfriend was like, I, I was trying to go somewhere and I was late and I was like, ah, and I just, I missed it, right? And I'm so embarrassed. I, I just, I just want to share that's an insight to my life that every once in a while, something gets through the cracks and I don't quite edit it out and I miss it. Uh, these are my takeaways from week five of the NFL season. There's a topic, uh, th- you know, this topic is a collection of stuff that would not quite work as an individual topic on the podcast. So it's a bunch of stuff I threw together. I'm like, look, we'll just put them all together, make it a topic. I want to start with the Packers and the Cowboys. Dak Prescott had three interceptions this week, and people are acting like it's the end of the world. The reality is two of his interceptions bounced off his receiver's hands. You can argue that his last interception, he kind of forced into coverage. But again, he's down. He's trying to mount a comeback. He threw it into the end zone. It bounced off his guy's hands, got popped up and intercepted. Um, I know that Dak Prescott got a lot of stats in the second half. And you'll say like, oh, all his numbers are in garbage time. But you got to understand, the dude still threw for almost 500 yards against a really, really good defense. He had 463 yards passing. It's more than Deshaun Watson did. And everyone's freaking out about how amazing Deshaun Watson was. And what's interesting is it's not like he just only had yards and garbage time. He was playing well early in the game. Unfortunately, he had a, cu- a couple interceptions. Things didn't go the right way. But he played a great elite Packers defense. Of course, he had some issues. He wasn't great. He's not perfect. Dak Prescott's not an elite quarterback, in my opinion. But I'm also not going to give up on him. You know, I, I see too much good from Dak Prescott to be like, ah, you know, had a bad game against the Saints and then a bad game against the Packers. He's terrible. It's over. Yeah, I can acknowledge he's not an elite quarterback. If he had been, he would have played better against elite defenses, right? Elite versus elite. You got to show up. Two weeks in a row now, Dak Prescott played a great defense. It wasn't incredible. In fact, it was not great. Maybe not, maybe even bad. But the Saints and the Packers are two of the best defenses in the NFC. Like, I mean, I hello. It's not like it's... The sky is falling in Dallas. By the way, I'm really unimpressed with the Cowboys receiver, Amari Cooper. I know a lot of people are like, he's hurt, he's injured. I've had this thought for a long time, and it's been slowly developing. And just what I see from Amari Cooper doesn't impress me that much. He's really good at getting open using his speed. He's not very physical. In my opinion, he's a second tier of all. Like, there's, there's number one receivers. Everyone has a, this is our number one receiver. You know, Mike Evans. DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, T.Y. Hilton, Odell Beckham Jr. That's a number one receiver. And that's those are top-tier number one receivers. And every football team has a number one go-to guy. Of the go-to guys in the NFL, Amari Cooper's a second-tier go-to guy. He's not very physical. He doesn't win matchups on the ball very often. He gets out-jockeyed for position. He, can catch, there's, he had a catch down the sideline over the top. I understand. Congratulations. But too frequently, Amari Cooper gets jockeyed out of position by corners and the ball gets knocked away. I'm just not impressed with Amari Cooper's physicality at all. I think Michael Gallup, if anybody's like the true number one receiver in Dallas, it's actually Michael Gallup. It's not Amari Cooper. So I I just, eh, not impressed. Let's not talk about the Packers. Oh, man. Go listen to my NFL Predictions podcast. I am so proud of it. I got so much right. I was right about the Vikings. I was right about the Redskins. And I was right about the Packers. They're 4-1. and one. They look great. And their defense is fantastic. And their offensive coordinator and slash head coach, Matt LaFleur, is working with Aaron Rodgers. And I'll be honest. 
I don't like Aaron Rodgers' attitude. I hate watching him. On screen, he's got horrible facial expressions. He's got horrible body language. Anytime anything goes wrong, he looks he like scowls. He looks all offended. He stares down his teammates. I hate that side of Aaron Rodgers. It is not fun to watch. However, he's ridiculously talented. They are forward one. It is working. So no matter how much I hate watching Aaron Rodgers and the way he treats people, hey, they're four and one. They look really good. They just beat the Cowboys pretty badly. And uh, I think that Matt LaFleur so far, as long as Aaron Rodgers follows him and as long as Aaron Rodgers stays in line, Matt LaFleur is a smashing success with the Green Bay Packers. Okay, uh, the Colts beat the Chiefs on Monday night on so excuse me, on Sunday night football. And my first takeaway is that the Colts linemen are unreal. The offensive line, the defensive line, all of it. It's very impressive. The Colts multiple times on fourth and one or fourth and short. One up front. Their offensive line pushed the Chiefs backwards. They ran the ball on fourth down and succeeded multiple times. That Colts offensive line is no joke and it is nothing to be messed with. They are incredible. And then, oh, wow. You know, the Colts defensive line was really good. The Chiefs tried to run the ball on fourth and short and got stuffed, got embarrassed. And the Colts had pressure constantly on Patrick Mahomes. Wow, it was impressive. And the Colts quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, was not incredible. He was 18 for 29, had 150 yards passing, 151, no touchdowns, had an interception. But he was good enough to win. Jacoby Brissett was good enough to win. Now, his biggest test, in my opinion, this year, there are two of them. I think it's week 12. Week 12, they go to Houston. They play the Texans. And then week 15, they go to New Orleans in Louisiana and play at the Saints in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. What do you call it? The New Orleans Dome? Mercedes Dome. Whatever, we'll call it that. And, uh, man, to go into New Orleans and beat the Colts would be a huge accomplishment. But, hey, I'm already impressed. Jacoby Brissett is doing a great job. He already went into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs. That's a big deal. And the Colts are so underrated. They are such a good, good football team. Top to bottom, they're just really, really good. Here's a scary thought, by the way. Right now, the Patriots lead the NFL in sacks. They have 24. The Patriots, the New England Patriots, have the best pass rush in the NFL right now. The the next best team has 20. They have 24. And it's a scary thought because they also lead the NFL in interceptions with 11. Ooh, it's... Really, really horrifying how good the Patriots defense is because someday, here's what's going to happen. Eventually, the Chiefs and the Patriots are going to play each other in the playoffs. It's going to happen. They're going to play each other in the, in the regular season too. However, I don't think that the Patriots care about that game. They're not going to try all their special stuff. They're going to wait and get film on the Chiefs and then in the playoffs, come out with some new wrinkle you've never seen before and just surprise and try to catch the Chiefs off guard. But what we did see is the Colts beat the Chiefs. And I'm going to do a film analysis of how. I want to understand what the the Colts defense did to stop Patrick Mahomes. But before I even watch film, here's what I know. The Patriots were out there watching film, taking notes. They're like, oh, let's see what the Colts did against the Chiefs. We're going to pay attention to that game. I know they have people watching film on that game. Totally legal, by the way. But they're going to do it. And they're going to figure out a, a way to stop Patrick Mahomes. And they're going to use it because they're going to do it because the Colts gave them a template. Here's how. I don't know what that is yet. I'll watch film. I'll make a video about it. What did the Colts do to stop Patrick Mahomes? But the Patriots defense is very talented and very capable. 
And I'm certain that whatever the Colts did to stop Patrick Mahomes, the Patriots can duplicate it too. That's a scary, scary thought. Here's another thought. Deshaun Watson was incredible this year. Texans quarterback, oh my gosh. He was 28 for 33 passing, had 426 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. He's incredible. And there are two film analysis projects I'm working on for later this week. The first one is how the Colts defense stopped Patrick Mahomes. The next one is Deshaun Watson versus the Falcons. And then the other two I want to work on, if I can, are Gardner Minshew and uh, Marcus Mariota. Next Tuesday, we'll do the Bears quarterbacks. They have a bye week this week, so I'm going to slow down on the Bears, do more of it later, get this other work done first. But we'll do the Bears, and we'll do comparing Chase Daniel to Mitchell Trubisky. What's wrong? Who's better? Why do they both seem to suck? Why is Mitchell Trubisky especially very underwhelming? Why does it seem like Chase Daniel might actually be better than Mitchell Trubisky? It's a whole mess. So that's the stuff that's coming up ahead for Strong Opinion Sports. I have one more takeaway, and that's that I feel really bad for Steelers fans. Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph had a nasty concussion. They had to go to the backup quarterback. Long term, for the viability of the Steelers, I'm very concerned. They lost Big Ben, their starting quarterback. They're probably going to not have Mason Rudolph this next week because the concussion was horrible. The dude, like, passed out. He was knocked unconscious the minute he got hit and went limp on the field. That's horrifying. And so, for the long-term success of the Steelers, I'm very, very concerned. I just am. I'm like, ooh, man. They're going to miss their quarterback for the next couple weeks and they traded away their first-round pick, it's really, really bad, and I feel very bad for the Steelers. We have two more things I want to talk about before we go to break and then eventually do Ask Zach. Um, I want to encourage you, learn the name Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle. Learn that name. Hear it again. He is the head coach of the Cincinnati, of University of Cincinnati. I think they're the Bearcats. I watched their football team play football. I've watched a couple of their games this year. As YouTube TV, I was able to find them. It's really cool. And uh, he is going to get a job at a big school very, very soon. He is. Right now, Cincinnati's 4-1. and one. They beat UCLA from the Pac-12. They beat Marshall and Miami of Ohio by a combined 60 points. And on Saturday, they just beat UCF. Remember that team that was like, oh, we're the national champions. And we were like, shut up. You're annoying. <laughs> Yeah, they beat them, and it felt really good to watch. And uh, their only loss, Cincinnati's only loss, is to Ohio State. Number three in the nation, Ohio State. They're probably going to make the college football playoff. Man, for a team that is not a Power 5 school, that's a very much okay loss to have to lose to Ohio State. Can't blame it on that one. They were simply overmatched. Ohio State had way more talent. doesn't matter how well coached your football team is. If you're just physically completely overmatched, you're not going to win. But Luke Fickle, man, you know, Cincinnati's in the top five. They're number, in fact, they're number 25 in the AP coaches poll, top 25. And it's pretty cool, man. Cincinnati's not one of the most talented football teams I've ever seen. They're good. They're not awful. They're a Division I program for sure. But, man, when I watch Cincinnati, their technique is really good up front. They execute their system really well. Guys are in the right spot. Guys don't make mental mistakes. And you see guys fight really hard. And in a tough battle against UCF, they overcame, and they fought, and they were grinding till the end. And all this stuff you see that I saw, and those things I mentioned, are signs of a well-coached football team. Luke Fickle, Cincinnati's head coach, is making a name for himself. He is next. He's the next big name that everyone's going to talk about going to a bigger school. I don't know if it's Tennessee. I, I don't know what schools are in trouble right now that need a new head coach. I, I hope not UCLA. I hope Luke Fickle doesn't go there. That's a death trap. 
But to me, it's only a matter of time before a bigger program tries to hire away Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, remember that name. He's the next big hire in college football. So from a good enough, you know, from a good coach to a coach that is really struggling, let's now talk about UCLA football. Oh, man. Uh, UCLA football is one in five. And the one game they did win was kind of a miracle. You know, they won 63 to 67 against Washington State. It was a 32-point come-from-behind lead. I don't know if I got the final total right, but I do know it was a 30-point victory, you know, 32-point comeback to win the game in Pullman against Washington State. I watched it. It was incredible. And I said after that game that UCLA finally had some hope. They finally had hope because their quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, looked like he was making some progress. Like, things had finally clicked. He was settling in. He looked really good. And, man, the following week against Arizona, GTR got hurt. He's been out for the last two games. He got hurt out of the rest of the Arizona game. He didn't play last week against Oregon State. And uh, this past week, UCLA lost by 17 points to Oregon State. And by the way, Oregon State is a horrible, horrible program. I feel bad. I have friends who are Oregon State fans. I live in the Portland metro area. Man, Oregon State is a terrible program. I feel bad for them. Here was UCLA's remaining schedule. They play at Stanford. Then they play Arizona State, a good football program. They play against Colorado. And then the final three games are really, really tough for UCLA. They play at Utah, at USC, and they play Cal at home. I think, man, UCLA is going to be lucky to win three games this year. I think they might not even win two. They're more likely to win two games this entire year. If that, if that. Honestly, if they get rid of Chip Kelly, I have no idea who UCLA will hire. But, man, I am really skeptical that their head coach, Chip Kelly, can make it happen. And whether I I don't have any bearing on this decision, my opinion doesn't matter for UCLA football. But I think UCLA football's head coach, Chip Kelly, is on the chopping block, and they might fire him very, very soon. It's it's ugly. You know, Chip won at Oregon. He was he inherited a good program at University of Oregon in Eugene, and then he made them better. He took a good program, made it— uh, Let's be honest. Oregon was an elite program with Chip Kelly. I can be honest. An elite program is what Chip Kelly made Oregon into. But the situation he inherited at Oregon is a very different situation than he inherited at UCLA. UCLA is a mess, uh, awful program. And it's hard enough to turn around a good program that needs some needs to get a little better. It's almost impossible to turn around a mess of a program. Just a horrible, crappy situation. And I don't know that Chip Kelly has the tools he needs to make it happen. I don't know. It takes a really galvanizing person who cares about people and who, you know, where enthusiasm leaks out of them, takes a, re- a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of heart. And when I look at Chip Kelly, are you inspired? I never listened to Chip Kelly talk and went, that's a guy I jumped through a brick wall for. Because he's not that kind of guy. He's not the kind of guy that inspires a lot of hope. I don't know how much he really cares about the program because it doesn't come out of him. You don't see it on his face. You don't hear it in his interviews. I don't believe Chip Kelly has what it takes to turn around a program. I've met head coaches and you go, doesn't matter how the, what the record is. I believe in them because I would follow them. I've met head coaches like that. There are certain head coaches that go, I would follow you. I don't know that Chip Kelly is that kind of guy. 
And, you know, here's a funny thought. You know, if Michigan doesn't want <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, I am sure UCLA would be happy to have him in a heartbeat. I'm sure UCLA would go, we'll take 10 wins a year. Michigan's fans are spoiled. We might not even win two. <laughs> but seriously, I feel sad for UCLA fans. They're in a bad situation. You know, UCLA has bad technique. Guys are in the wrong spots. They're not executing well. And talent-wise, they're not impressive. Chip Kelly's not done a good job recruiting. So even quarterback aside, UCLA is not impressive. I thought they could, you know, you would think, okay, we lose our quarterback. I want it to still look competitive, and it's, mm, I don't know. They lost to Oregon State. Oregon State. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. I would like to see good things. I like DTR as a person. He seems, I, I don't know him. I never met him, nothing like that. But I just, I root for people. It's hard to root. I don't root against people ever. I hope Chip Kelly succeeds. I hope DTR is awesome. I hope they have a great, you know, ride off into the sunset, and it all works out. But it, ugh, I don't think that's what's going to happen here. And I think, sadly, the Chip Kelly era is soon going to be over at UCLA. I don't have a lot of hope for the future. I, I don't, you know, one in five, losing to bad teams, it's, it's not good. And uh, I think the Chip Kelly era will soon come to an end with UCLA. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to do Ask Zach. And at the very end of the show, I'm going to share the college football game. I am extremely, extremely excited to watch this weekend. Cannot wait. Ask Zach, college football. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back with those two items of discussion. All right, we are back. Um, It's now time for Ask Zach. Ask Zach is a segment that I do at the end of every single one of my podcasts. So people who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can give me more if you want. It does help me pay my bills. I'm, I'm trying to survive and make a living here. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions through patreon.com. I only accept questions on Patreon. You can send them through Patreon's DM service. You can uh, comment them below. On, I post every, right before I'm about to do one, I post like, ask Zach is on Tuesday. You can you know, submit your questions below. And I will not guarantee to talk about your question on the show if you submit it. But I do guarantee I'll look at it with my eyeballs because I hit the mic. Wow. I look at it. I look at every question with my eyeballs and then I pick the top couple and read them on every single show. So um, I want to start today with a question from uh, I don't want to have to go. I have to do it. I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, Tupshin writes in Tupshin says, hi, Zach. I recently saw in your Instagram story that you were ready to share why you left your college football program. Will you be talking about it in your next podcast? Um, I got to say, um, please stop asking me about this topic. I don't really want to talk about it. Uh, it's, it's painful. It's frustrating. It's something that, you know, I, I want to talk about it someday. And, I, you know, every, I'm, not, I'm just not ready to. Every time I talk about it, my blood kind of boils. I get really angry, and I, I don't get very angry about things very often. I just don't, and, and I do every time I think about um, the situation I found myself in. Uh, you know, I got to say, I, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again, and I stand by this, and it's, I'm authentic, and I mean this when I say what I'm about to say next. I love my former head coach. He's a great man, great man, great head coach. I believe in him, a guy I'd fight for, and, and I, I really love, and I... I love my former teammates. A lot of them still call me at night. 
you know, a couple guys call me at night for advice and uh, help in school, all kinds of stuff, man. I, I really, um, it's weird how much I'm still invested in that program. Actually, maybe a little bit. I don't, I don't know if it's okay or not, but look, I have friends and they need help. I answer the phone when they call. And I think you can figure out what happened. You know, you can watch my Joe Burrow video and you can watch my Jalen Hurts video. And then I did a topic, you know, I, I answered a question on last week's Ask Zach about, you know, uh, how to how I would handle a quarterback controversy and a quarterback competition, what I would do if I was a coach, right? And I think if you watch those topics and videos, you can get a sense of what happened. Uh, I just, I'm sure I will tell the story eventually. In fact, I think I have to. And at least, you know, because when I'm old and 10 years from now, the stories I got from that experience are invaluable to the shell, right? It's everything I went through and all the weird, all kinds of situations I had there, good and bad, are going to be great stories on the shell someday. But personally, uh, again, my, my blood boils when I, I think about it. And the truth is that, you know, the root of anger is, is sadness. And I'm just incredibly sad about what happened and the way things went down. And uh, it's just really sad and really painful. I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and I didn't get in trouble. My girlfriend's not pregnant. I wasn't cut. Nothing like that happened, right? But it just it was an unfortunate situation that I decided to remove myself from. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm not ready to discuss why or what happened. There's all kinds of, I promise you, man. Uh, I've already said more than I'm really comfortable sharing. It just hurts a lot. Very painful. And every every week I watch him play, it's increasingly painful to watch. And to, to observe from afar and go, oh, man. So that's all I'm going to say. I, I already said honestly way too much. And my, 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 my dad, I hired my dad as my manager the other day. And uh, you know, my dad's going to give me all kinds of crap. He's like, you can't say what you said. I know. I know I said too much, but I, I just, I want to give you something. I know I keep getting so many questions about that. And it just makes me very upset. I don't have, I don't have more to give you than that. I, I just don't yet. I will someday when I'm ready to talk about it and I can keep my cool when I talk about it and not be angry and not be sad, I can. When I, when I can deliver the story in a measured way, I will. But I'm not there yet. I just am not. It's too deep. It's too cutting. It's too painful. It's too frustrating. And I just can't. I have nothing good to say about it yet. I just love my teammates and I believe in my head coach and I, I still believe in that guy. He's a great guy and a great man. <sighs> Enough. Move on. Uh, Zach wrote in, Zach wrote in and said, it's funny, Zach, he spells it with a K. I don't, he said, Hey Zach, love your name, Zach, by the way. Uh, he said, Hey Zach, love your content and keep on doing what you do. Anyways, what is your opinion on Jacoby Brissett and how he was put into the situation he was put in where he only knew he was a starter two weeks before the regular season? But Zach Lawrence wrote in a similar question. Uh, he said, I'm a devoted and passionate Patriots fan. If a player came to new England and helped us win, I will forever have love for them. This definitely applies to both Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. I'm so proud of both. But my question today involves something you've been speaking of as of late. Leadership. After getting some film on Brissett, do you believe at this point in time that the Colts are better with Jacoby, or do you believe that they would have been better off with Luck if he continued to play? It's hard to say, you know, whether they'd be better or not. It's, you know, certainly the Colts have rallied around Jacoby Brissett, uh, and he has done an incredible job. He's playing really well. He's got 10 touchdowns, three interceptions, 64% completion percentage. That is a lot more than I think people could have asked for from him. 
And uh, I, I'm impressed by him. I'm happy for him. And I think, honestly, Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett are both in very similar situations where there's a lot of unknown yet, but they're steering. They're like race car drivers, right? It's like you put Jimmy Garoppolo at the seat of a Ferrari and you put, you know, what's a, like a McLaren? Think of another. I don't know fast cars very well. I know like Ferraris and Teslas. But you give Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett both really fast cars. And now we're like, are they good enough drivers to win with a fast car? I don't know yet. I think so. I definitely think Jacoby Brissett's proving every week, like, dude, I just beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. There are more tests we need to go through with Jimmy Garoppolo and with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I do say I believe in Jacoby Brissett more than I do Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. He's played more consistently. He's got bigger wins. So, like, yeah, I believe in him. Uh, but he just keeps proving himself every time. And the two quarterbacks I got to do a film analysis of, and maybe next Thursday the two I will focus on is Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo. Are they good? Like, I think so. But they've got the Colts are an incredible roster. The 49ers are an incredible roster. And right now, I, I like Jacoby Brissett more than Jimmy G. That win in Kansas City was a big deal. And I think the fact that, you know, is, are they better with Andrew Luck is the question, right? I, I don't, how do you say that? I don't know. They're certainly fighting hard for their quarterback, though. And the fact that someone, the fact that Lawrence asked the question even, are they better without Andrew Luck? That's a very telling question. And it's an example of how good Jacoby Brissett has been and how much of an impact he's left on his team. People think he might be better for the Colts than Andrew Luck. Wow. If we even have to ask, it's just clear to me whether he is or not, it's clear he's been really good for his franchise. And so uh, time will tell. You know, there's two big road games. The Week 12 against the Texans, Jacoby Brissett on Thursday Night Football will play in Houston. And then Week 15 is going to go to New Orleans to play at the Saints. There, Jacoby Brissett is going to be tested this year, but so far he's passed every test he's been through and really played fantastic all year. Alec writes in, Alex says, hi, Zach. Oh, hi again, Zach. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate your support. I love, I love, I love this segment, man. It's so cool. By the way, uh, Clayton, Clayton asked me a question. He said, if I could implement one rule change in the NFL of a set of small related rule changes, what would it be and why? Clayton, I, I was going to answer your question today and I had an answer written up and I didn't feel good about it. So I ripped it up actually and removed it. So Clayton, I will answer your question on the next, next Ask Zach, but Clayton, I need more time to think about it and to ponder your question because I just, I really want to give a thoughtful answer here and I, I had one and it just didn't feel good enough and so I, I removed it. So Clayton, I will answer your question on the next installment of Ask Zach. So Alex again, Alex wrote in and said, hi, hi again, Zach. Alex says, the Pac-12 seems to be in a state of cannibalism and competition with every team having at least one loss. With only four teams that are at only one loss, the Arizona schools, Utah, and Oregon, do you think any team has playoff hopes and how do you think it will turn out for the Pac-12 and my team, University of Arizona. Doesn't Washington also, did Washington lose? I don't think UW lost. I think UW also has one loss. Am I crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Uh, Alex, the problem with the Pac-12 is that there's no top team. The Big Ten has Ohio State and the ACC has Clemson. The Big 12 has Oklahoma. The SEC has Alabama. They also have Georgia and LSU. And I think Georgia, LSU, and Alabama would all go undefeated. In fact, all six teams, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, all six of those teams, if you inserted them for a year into the Pac-12, would go undefeated and run the table. They would just knock the crap out of the Pac-12. There's no top dog on the West Coast in the Pac-12. There just is not. I, I thought maybe UW would be that team this year. They haven't been. They lost to Cal. 
Sounds like this guy didn't include him. I, I thought for sure they won last week. Did they not win? Who knows, right? I, I, I don't know. My point is this. The Pac-12 has no shot at the playoff. They don't. They're really, really competitive, man. They're, they're just so, like, tight. Oregon, Washington, Arizona State, Arizona, Utah, Washington State, USC. All these middle-of-the-road teams that are really competitive with each other. And the Pac-12 is, if you, like, put the Pac-12 in a vacuum and you only watched Pac-12 football and the SEC didn't exist and the Big Ten didn't exist and the Big 12 didn't exist, you would love it. I mean, the Big, the Pac-12 is so fun if you only look at the Pac-12. A lot of people on the West Coast where I live do that. They only watch the Pac-12. And if you do that, it's a good time. It's really competitive. It's really fun. But the truth is, a ton of good teams mean that none of them stand out and nobody dominates. And on the national level, the Pac-12 is way behind. They get their butts kicked by teams. It's like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, yes, Cal beat Ole Miss, right? But like Ole Miss, it's not a big deal. Until the Pac-12 has a team that dominates its own conference, that makes other teams look silly. Like if I thought UW had a chance to do this. I thought UW had a chance to run the table this year because they, they had bigger offensive linemen. They're a little better. They had a rainy game. They lost to Cal. It's unfortunate, right? But until the Pac-12 has a team that dominates everybody else in their conference, they're not going to make a playoff. They're just not going to do it. Right now, I do think the best hope for the Pac-12 is either University of Washington. They have a great head coach. They have some really big guys up front. I love their offensive and defensive line. That's it. They, they have a chance there. If USC can get an elite head coach, their USC with good recruiting could elevate their program. But in general, the Pac-12 is the worst of the, and maybe not the worst as a whole, but the Pac-12 doesn't have a dominant team and their recruiting's not as good, and the level of talent, the highest level of talent in the Pac-12 is not as good as the highest level of talent in every other conference. And so the Pac-12 is sagging behind. They're just not a great nationally. They're not a big deal nationally. They're kind of, they are cannibalistic. They very much feed on each other. And if you, again, if you put the Pac-12 in a vacuum, it'd be awesome. But nationally, the Pac-12 is not relevant because they don't have anybody that can compete with those top six schools. You know, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Who is the other one? Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma. And I I think Texas would run the table in the Pac-12. So, man, the Pac-12 is just behind everybody else. And that is why they have no shot to make it into the college football playoff. Dan writes in. Dan says, hi, Zach. I wanted to know, I wanted to get your opinion on how you think John Gruden has done so far in Oakland. A lot has happened. He traded Khalil Mack to the Bears. He traded Amari Cooper to the Cowboys. And perhaps as a result, went 4-12 and in an apparent rebuild year. He's talking about last year. The Raiders are poised to leave Oakland for Las Vegas next year. Meanwhile, the Raiders have some new exciting rookies, namely running back Josh Jacobs, tight end Jaron Waller, not to mention free agent signing. Trent Brown. The Raiders are coming off an important and exciting London win, while meanwhile Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack seem to be continuing their success with new teams. Are the Raiders a playoff team this year? And is John Gruden the right guy for the future of the Raiders franchise? Yeah, I think John Gruden is the future of the Raiders franchise. I think he's great for them. I think the Raiders are better with John Gruden. Absolutely. I'm one of the few. I believe in him. I buy in. Uh, he was given a 10-year contract. He's in no hurry. That's what people need to understand. John Groot is not trying to win right now. He's trying to win in two years from now. He's building something for the long term. He wants to win with his guys. And 
I believe the way John Gruden envisions winning is not by giving contracts to Khalil Mack and, you know, what's his name? Amari Cooper. I forget his name. Can't believe I forgot his name. You know what I'm talking about. I talk about it all the time. I know, of course, I know Amari Cooper's name. I hate that, by the way. I have a brain fart. Can't remember someone's name. They're like, you don't know football. You're not a real fan. It's like, yeah, I'm not a fan of an analyst. And I know Amari Cooper's name. Point is this. He didn't want to pay Khalil Mack a ton of money. He didn't think it was worth it. Here's a funny thing, by the way. Right now, how many playoff wins did Khalil Mack have last year? Zero. Oh, and how many wins did the Raiders have last year in the playoffs? Zero. So right now, they're, they have the equal amount of success. It's funny to me. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> Jokes aside, um, yeah, Khalil Mack's unreal. He didn't want to give him a contract. And Amari Cooper's a good player. Didn't want to give him a contract. John Gruden believes in building it the way that the Indianapolis Colts have built their roster. How have the Colts built their roster? They drafted really, really well and built guys in-house. And if you notice, the Colts had a ton of money available in last offseason, and they didn't spend any of it. They didn't spend their money. They kept their money, and they didn't spend all their salary cap, which is weird and bizarre because the Colts' belief is we're going to build from within through the draft. And John Gruden didn't draft Khalil Mack, and Khalil Mack wouldn't meet with him. Khalil Mack wanted a giant contract that John Gruden wasn't willing to give him. Khalil Mack wasn't one of John Gruden's guys. He didn't draft him. He wasn't responsible for him being there. Didn't have a relationship. It didn't work. Amari Cooper wasn't one of John Gruden's guys. He got rid of those guys. He replaced him with first-round draft picks. He drafted his own guys. I'm saying, a lot of, I'm saying the word guys a lot, but the point is John Gruden wanted the people he chose to work with, not the people he inherited. Didn't want Amari Cooper. Didn't want Khalil Mack. He replaced them. And in fact, he got a lot of value from Khalil Mack. He got multiple draft picks. And by the way, about Amari Cooper, I tend to agree with John Gruden. He's a good receiver. He's not a top-tier receiver. He's not DeAndre Hopkins or Odell Beckham Jr. or Julio Jones or Mike Evans. Man, Amari Cooper lacks the physicality you need to be a highly paid top receiver in the NFL. He's good. He gets open. He's very quick. He uses his speed, and I understand right now that he's hurt. He's playing hurt. I respect that. But Amari Cooper's physicality is not enough. He doesn't win contested passes often enough. He's not impressive to me in big moments like that. He wins. He, he catches balls over the top and he beats people in a race. Or he'll run straight. He'll break down and run a comeback. And he uses his speed to get open. But running a slant on the goal line or running a fade on the goal line or running any kind of jump ball at all or any kind of contested pass... I don't really want to throw that ball to Amari Cooper because he's not a big physical receiver who wins those matchups. Michael Gallup on the Cowboys, on the other hand, is actually the guy who can out-jockey a defender for position to catch a jump ball. Amari Cooper is a guy that I wouldn't feel comfortable with giving a gigantic contract, and I don't at all blame the Raiders for not doing it. Wow, I got really into that. I just, man, I think Amari Cooper is a bit overrated, honestly. I want to do a film analysis of Derek Carr after this year. Is he good? Is he the future? I think he is. We're seeing good stuff. But right now, the Raiders are 3-2. and two. They're second in their division. I think they're better than the Chargers. I think the rebuild's going really well with the Raiders. Slowly but surely, John Gruden is building a really good franchise in Oakland. And I guess soon to be in Las Vegas. It's fun to watch. So I believe in John Gruden. He is the future of the Raiders. And I wish more people would listen and buy into him.
Moon wrote in. Moon, I love your name. Don't understand your name, but I love it. Moon wrote in and said, hey, Zach, I can safely say you were the only reason I was able to accept Daniel Jones on draft night because I saw your analysis videos on all the quarterbacks before draft night. Moon, thank you so much, man. I uh, I want to acknowledge that because it's cool. I can't wait to make the next round of draft analysis videos. It's one of my favorite things. I think I truly believe I know the quarterback position really well. I was nervous about Haskins. I was right. I believed in Daniel Jones. I was right. I liked Kyler Murray. He went number one overall. I love Gardner Minshew. I was right. And look, I'm wrong too. I'm, there are many moments where I'm wrong. But I think I know quarterback really well. Better than a lot of people in the country. I really think I know. I, I'm very confident. I know the position of the quarterback really well. And I'm very confident in my ability. And I can't wait to do another round of draft analysis videos. And if I'm wrong, I'll own it. I admit it. I'm okay with being wrong. But I do. I am very confident in my ability to evaluate quarterbacks. I think I'm pretty good at it. And uh, yeah, I think I, I understand what it takes to build a good quarterback. So, sorry sorry to go on a tangent. I'm just proud of it. Moon writes in. Moon says, my question to you is, why do you think more teams haven't adopted the Patriot way? Why haven't more teams adopted the Patriot way where players take a pay cut in order for the organization to have more money to build a better and more complete team? Do you think that players are more concerned with earning a lot of money rather than winning a championship? Yes, of course players are more concerned with winning a championship, or with winning money, with getting money. I, You know, I was really disappointed that Dak Prescott didn't take a pay cut to build a good team around him because I think that's a great opportunity and a great situation where Dak Prescott could make more money if he won a Super Bowl through endorsements and sponsorships than he ever would on a football field and he could have a longer career. I thought Dak Prescott should have taken, hey, give me 19 million a year. I'm set for life. Then leave me alone. That's plenty. But everybody wants to make as much money as possible. I can't blame anybody, anybody for that. Uh, I know I, I've got a, a couple sponsorships behind the scenes I'm working on. And I, I'll be honest, I've taken less money to do it the right way. I'm working on t-shirts. And I've taken less money doing t-shirts to make a higher quality product that I think people will like. And I'll make less revenue on, but it's I can sell it for cheaper. That I, I think a good price is 20 to $25. And so I don't know why I'm going on this tangent, but I've worked on merch, right? And I want to sell shirts for an affordable price and I'll make less money on it. But I'd rather make a good product and do it the right way. And it's surprising to me, yeah, a little bit that NFL players don't want to do that thing, you know, do it the right way. But also, you know, an NFL player has a very limited window of time that they can make money. I can do strong opinion sports till I'm dead. I, I would, as long as I can talk, I can do the show, and I love it, and I hope to do it until I'm dead. I really, really, truly love this more than anything in the world. Uh, Dak Prescott has like ten years where he can make money in the NFL, and I think. Yeah, it's a little short-sighted to some players that don't want to take a pay cut to win, but you can't ever, ever blame a guy for wanting to make as much money as possible because he's worried about his family. He, he, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it, and I would think like if it came down to $18 million or $19 million, I'd take $18 million to play for a better team or have a chance to win instead of going to $19 million and losing because quality of life matters too. But if you're offered $34 million and take 10 yeah, I wouldn't do that. I want to make as much money as I can. And so I never blame players. Like Danny Amendola left the Patriots. He wanted to make more money. Can you blame the guy? I can't at all. You're getting hit. You're getting bashed in the head. I never will blame players for wanting to make as much money as humanly possible. And another, there was another part of that question that I thought it was cool. So why haven't more people adopted the Patriot way? And I, I want to end it there. Why haven't more people adopted the Patriot way, period? I have two responses to that. One is that every team has their own path. And they got to do it their own way. 
right? You can't, you're not Bill Belichick. You can't do the Patriot way because nobody will buy into it because the Patriot way includes Bill Belichick. People go, why are you yelling at me? Why, do, why, why, you can't do this. You're not him. That's why a lot of Bill Belichick's assistants have failed in the NFL because they're not Belichick. And if they try to be Belichick, it doesn't work. But if you do it your own way, maybe you do a lot of stuff the Patriots did, but you're willing to be yourself and do it your own way. That can work. But if you're not authentic and you're not being yourself, impersonating someone else is never going to work. Here's another thing. I don't know why more NFL teams aren't more shrewd. There's a couple beliefs I have. You know, the Patriots are very, very... The way they operate business is really heartless. Uh, They don't care about you. The Patriots don't even pretend to care about you. The Patriots care about winning games and getting everything they can out of you. And the truth is that most NFL teams are just more sentimental than that. They care about players. They want to, like Jerry Jones wants to be friends with his players and this and that. And Belichick is not friends with his players. You don't, he doesn't care about that. You don't get that sense. Robert Kraft loves Tom Brady and they're, they're close and they support each other. There is a camaraderie that I like with the Patriots, but also it's very clear. The expectation in New England is we're here to win Super Bowls. If you're not, you're not invited. Get out of here. We're here to win and work, and we're not here to smile. We smile when we win. And the truth is, Belichick's kind of weird. He's very different. And, you know, most people are stuck in their ways. They can't adapt. You know, I think a good example of this is YouTube, right? I make money on YouTube, and my friend's parents can't understand it. They just are like, "How? what? How do you? How? They cannot even fathom. They're so... Their brain is so stuck in this one track that to have something that works outside the box and a little bit different and unorthodox, they don't even understand how that could possibly be. And I think most NFL teams are the same way where we don't do it that way. That's not how you do it. That's not it. They're like, in their head, they're like, that's not how you do it. But Belichick's like, no, I'm going to trim the fat, trim the fat. That's bad. That's dumb. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Belichick is always finding ways to cut corners and, and be as efficient and as smart as possible. That's why he's gotten in trouble with the rules because that's Belichick. He's always trying to find an edge, whether it's the rules and, and twisting them and bending them as much as he can. Belichick doesn't care. All he cares about is winning. And it works for them. Patriots are very direct, no BS. They're on a mission. And the truth is, here's the biggest reason why more teams aren't the culture of the Patriots. It's not just that they're more sentimental and that they care. I don't think it would work for a lot of teams. It takes a certain type of player to work in the Patriot system. Not everybody would work as a Patriot. You got to understand, most coaches adapt to their players. The Patriots don't do that. The Patriots are different. They only bring in players who fit their culture. It's unreal the way the Patriots can look at players on other teams. The, the way the Patriots scout other NFL teams is unbelievable. I've never seen a team so effectively say, Hey, that guy's a backup running back. He comes to us. We can turn him into and use his ability to make him run for a thousand yards. It's, it's unbelievable the way the Patriots go. They, the way the Patriots see value in other players that other NFL teams simply cannot do. It's crazy. And the, the Patriots bring in guys who fight hard, who work hard, who are highly coachable. The Patriots almost don't seem to care about talent. Like your physical ability, if you have it, it's great. But the Patriots seem to care far more about attitude and work ethic than any other team in the NFL and the truth is there's only a certain limited amount of players like that who could work in the Patriots system. Not every guy, but every guy would. 
And if you had an entire NFL of Patriots locker rooms, you wouldn't have as much talent. Odomichael Jr. wouldn't work. There'd be all kinds of problems. And my point is that it's not sustainable to a mass scale. Only like one, maybe two NFL franchises could operate that way because they'd run out of players. There's just not enough players who could do what New England asks of their people. So that's why there's not more teams that do the Patriot way. Uh, I, I would try to give a pretty thoughtful answer. I hope that you appreciated that. Uh, that. That's why I think more teams don't adopt the Patriot way. The final question of the day is from Nathan. Nathan writes in and says, Hey, Zach, it's awesome that you can pursue what you love, and I'm so happy to support you as a Patreon sub. Nathan, thank you, man. I, I'm living the dream. I, 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 love my, I love my girlfriend. I love my job. I'm so happy. Uh, I make just enough to survive, and that's so cool. And uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I love doing this. Nathan writes in and says, I'm currently watching the tail end of the Browns game. Yikes. <laughs> I'm confused as to how the Browns could play so well in Baltimore, but look absolutely lethargic in San Francisco. Do you think the Browns are that bad, or do you think the 49ers are that good? What's a realistic record prediction for these Browns now that they have a, you've had a solid chunk of the season to watch them? Finally, what in the world do you think is up with Baker? Thanks, Zach. Uh, Nathan, man, the Browns are a mess. Uh, some There's a lot of good and a lot of bad. I think a lot of it is on Baker. Baker Mayfield, it, it, I think it's partly the pressure. Like he, he adopted the weight of an entire city, and I, I don't think he can handle the moment. I really don't. And I think that it's clear he didn't improve enough in the offseason. He needed to do more. He needed to do more. And he hasn't done the work we needed to see from him. Like in the offseason, he didn't make enough adjustments. Right now, the Browns are two and three. Their next two games are brutal. They play the Seahawks and the Patriots. They're going to be three and five. I just believe that. Or two and five, excuse me. And the Browns are going to be in a bad spot. I think that, you know, they don't have a great mature culture with Freddie Kitchens. Their offensive line is bad. They don't run the ball. And they got to run the ball more and really adopt that. I think the. The Browns look at Baker Mayfield as a star, and Baker Mayfield sees Baker Mayfield as a star, and the truth is Baker Mayfield's far more like Mark Sanchez, the former quarterback of the Jets, where you got to run the ball really well and give him more support. And Baker Mayfield's work ethic is at question here. He didn't do a good enough job this offseason ratcheting it up his training and do more prep, and it shows. This The final product show is like, whatever you've been doing is not good enough. Tom Brady got better. Russell Wilson got better. Drew Brees got better. You stayed the same. So after the Browns play the Patriots and the Seahawks, they then play the Broncos, the Bills, the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Cardinals, the Ravens, and the Bengals. And I have them losing to the Ravens, the Patriots, the Seahawks, and the Bills. And then I gave them one more loss just because I think they're going to lose to some team they shouldn't lose to, like the Cardinals or the Bengals. or the They're going to lose to some game they shouldn't lose. And so that would finish the year at 8-8 eight and eight for the Cleveland Browns. I think 8-8 eight and eight is exactly what the Browns are, will turn into. Uh, and I, I think that that's how their year, I predict their year going. And so it's, it's disappointing, it's unfortunate, but like that's exactly what I see from the Browns season this year. They're going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. That's what I think they're going to finish as. Uh, I had them going 10 and 6. I didn't see them going much more than that, but you know they lost some key games earlier this year that I thought they, that shot they should have beat the Titan, Titans. I thought that I can't remember who else I had them beating, uh, but I, had, I think I had them beating the Ravens. I can't remember who I had them beating. Maybe it was Monday Night Football against the 49ers, but man, they just they get, 
annihilated twice. They lost horribly to the Titans. They lost horribly to the 49ers. And uh, they're going to lose, I think, five more games. They're going to lose their next two. They're going to lose to uh, the Seahawks, the Patriots, and the Bills, the Ravens, and probably some other team they shouldn't lose to. And the Browns will finish their year 8-8, eight and eight, guys. That's Ask Zach. Thank you so very much. It's uh, a big deal to me. I love this segment so much. I get to interact with you guys. I get to hear your questions. And far more than that, Patreon allows me a, an avenue to have conversations with people through Patreon's DM service. That's really cool. You know, I get to talk to people. Even if I don't answer your question, I try to respond to you. So you send me a DM about whatever. I, I FaceTime with a, a fan of mine last night. It was really, really cool. And like, I just that's, that's a fun moment that got to happen because of Patreon. I'm in love with the service, and uh, I'm glad Ask Zach became a thing. I, I love the money I get from it. It's a huge deal. It makes a huge impact on my life, literally. Like, it, it's, it makes a difference between me being able to support myself or not, the money I get from Patreon, and uh, it's just awesome. It's just all around. I love it. I get to interact with people. I get to have a cool segment on my show. I get to survive. It's, I, I love Ask Zach. It's going really well, and I'm so grateful for you guys' support. It means a lot to me. Okay, uh, there's one more thing before we end the show I want to talk about. There are four really big games in college football this weekend. Number one is USC goes to number nine. Notre Dame plays in South Bend, Indiana. It's going to be really fun. Number seven, Florida will play at LSU, number five, LSU. Uh, I love LSU's quarterback. He has 22 touchdowns in five games. Joe Burrow is incredible. Uh, I can't wait to watch LSU, Florida. I think LSU wins that game, maybe by a lot too, because I don't believe in Florida's quarterback situation. But either way, going to be a blast. Florida State goes to number two, Clemson. Florida State at Clemson. Uh, I'm worried Clemson could lose here. Clemson has been very vulnerable this year. Maybe the game they should have lost was Chapel Hill when they lost to you and they barely beat UNC. So maybe they don't. You know, everybody has a bad game and the goal is you got to survive your bad game. Maybe Clemson already had their bad game and they survived it. But Florida State at Clemson is a game to watch. Does Clemson show up and show them that, hey, we're big, bad Clemson and beat the crap out of Florida State? Or does Florida State compete with Clemson? If Florida State and Clemson are competitive, it's a sign that Clemson is not the same old Clemson they've been over the years. Okay, the best game of the weekend, though. It's obvious to me. If you know anything about college football, the game of the weekend, 9 a.m. Pacific time on Fox. That's noon Eastern. Fox Sports. It's on regular Fox. Sorry, excuse me. I just love Fox. They're a great broadcaster, but it's on Fox. It's the early game, number six, Oklahoma, against number 11, Texas. It's in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. Oh, man, it's going to be fun. Uh, Two really fun quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Sam Ellinger. Uh, Maybe Jalen Hurts is an NFL quarterback. I don't believe Sam Ellinger is at all, but they're great, exciting college quarterbacks. They run really well. They can throw a little bit. Jalen Hurts is a better thrower. I give the edge to Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is going to win this game, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be dramatic. That's what I hope. That's what I'm expecting. I cannot wait. I want Oklahoma, Texas to be fun and dramatic. I think that's what it will be. And I am so excited for the game it becomes. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. I love doing this show. It's uh best job in the world, man. Thank you so much. I love y'all. Y'all? I'm not from the South. Uh, just thank you so much, man. It's uh, a pleasure to do this show every time. I love it so much. And uh, thank you. Hope you have a great day. But um. Bam, we are...